women's breasts and women's nipples are so many degrees of normal. I mean, there's so many varieties. I would never tell anyone to change providers. I would just like to say when there are red flags, just always look into your options. Even if you go back to your original provider. I have seen two of the seven doctors and I doubt I'll even get to see all of them before I have this baby. I just want to back up a little bit first. The most important thing regarding a C-section is that you believe you need one. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our September Q&A episode. It's good to be back. We have an exciting announcement to everyone that we just launched our new website, downtobirthshow.com, and now you can reach out to us with with your Q&A questions or if you have a birth story to share, there's a form there for you to fill out and submit to us. So we love to hear from you for any reason at all. Check out the website, Down to Birth Show. You can see all of our episodes, all the show notes, etc. It's a great way to get in touch with us. Yes, it's very exciting. So be sure to head on over there and take a look. Okay, so what have we got today? Yeah, so we we started off our last Q&A with the um, hashtag shitmyob said. And this time I thought it'd be sort of funny. I came across an article um, about shit my husband said. Oh, <laughs> Oh God, that's got to yeah. be a long list so, on social media. Just to clarify, both, particularly this shit my husband said, this is just purely for entertainment pers- purposes. And, you know, shit my OB said is real. I mean, these things do come out of OB's mouths, but I think it's also important that we make it known that this is not about husband bashing or OB bashing in any way. This is pure, purely for humor. Well, we are big proponents of changing providers as necessary. So, yeah. you know, change partners as necessary too. Yeah, it, I it's mean, fine. whatever. Like, just, yeah, <laughs> switch them out. I mean, <laughs> hey, the one constant in life is impermanence. So, change. Okay, just kidding. <laughs> okay. Just kidding. Um, All right. You know, what do you have? Let's just, these are just for a good laugh. Okay. But, this, but it's real stuff. It's real stuff. Okay. So, here's the first one I had just finished getting stitches when my husband turned around and said, you have no idea how much my balls hurt from these tight jeans. Oh, stop. Are you kidding? I mean, I don't know. I hope she, Who th- says I, that? I hope she threw like her <laughs> bed pad at him. <laughs> All right, moving on. When I was pregnant with my third kid, my water broke in the middle of the night and my son's father hurried to the hospital, dot, 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 without me. No. Now that I totally what? believe. How? How is that possible? I mean, because sometimes the panic and the frenzy and the car is ready to go and they're rushing and they're whatever. I mean, I've heard, I've, wow. I've heard similar stories. I haven't actually heard a story where the husband left without her. I have but not. I, I could believe it. I could believe it. I mean, he probably just got to the end of the driveway and then realized, oh my God. <laughs> you know, Right. He's not walking to the emergency room by himself. My, my, my wife is not in the back seat. Okay. Um, so that's pretty funny. Funny to everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Um, here we go. While discussing different positions I could deliver in with my nurse, 
My husband asked if I could deliver doggy style. <laughs> now, I hope There's he's no just way. a really funny guy. <laughs> There's no way. And she wasn't far enough along in Come labor on. to like want to punch him in the face for that. <laughs> Come on. Okay. For the record, excellent position for birth. Absolutely. And we call it hands and knees or all fours. I think the word style is what makes it so funny <laughs> instead I of position. Mean, I, I, I have to think that this guy's just like a super funny dude and, you know, was trying, know to make about a, that. was trying to make a really witty joke. Um, you should switch husbands then. I mean, that would be the easy thing to do. But the comment about the tight jeans, come on. Like, that is so much tougher to Change swallow. Change your jeans, dude. Why do you wear tight <laughs> jeans like that then? Okay, <laughs> yep. Marriage is a beautiful thing. Um, okay. Oh, wait, there's more. Okay. Should we? Sure. Wait, we I, I, I have to read this one. Okay. My husband was incredibly helpful during my labor and delivery, except for when he was counting while I pushed and thought it would be funny to go seven, eight, nine, nine, nine and a half. Timing is everything. When I screamed that I was going to punch him, the poor guy instantly regretted trying to lighten the mood. You know, anyone with a funny birth partner, is so, they have a leg up. It's always a benefit when you have a funny or amusing birth companion. It really is. You don't want someone who's overly intense. Yeah, you just got to pick. The endorphins are good. You got to pick the right moments, though. I mean, you know, crowning, ring of fire, yep. you know. It's timing. Humor is all about timing. It's all yeah, about timing. Exactly. So just... Guys, if you're listening, just good, good, funny Keep stuff. Keep that humor in check. Yeah, you know, make sure it lands in the right place and time. Oh, wait, there's one more. Okay. Last one. Ready? I was in the sweatiest moments of labor with my first child, so the nurse pointed my partner to a cool washcloth to wipe the sweat from my face. He picked up the washcloth, folded it, then dabbed gently at my forehead like they do in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I yelled, give me that! And snatched it from him to wipe my own forehead. Then I threw it back at him and said, This is real life, goddammit. Pat, pat, pat. No, no. <laughs> it's not time for that. <sighs> Let's all give our own partners a big hug tonight. <laughs> all right, well, those were fun questions. Here we go. I'll start off. I am 39 years old and 27 weeks pregnant with my second son. Your podcast has made me question my choice of the group I have in Long Island. I have seen two of the seven doctors, and I doubt I'll even get to see all of them before I have this baby. My last labor and delivery was so quick. I was only in the hospital for one and a half hours. I wanted to be more upright for the delivery, but at that point, all I saw was a bed with stirrups and I was in a complete fog, so I didn't question it. I ended up tearing pretty badly, almost a third degree tear, and the stitching was harder than the entire birth. This hospital does continuous fetal monitoring. I was wondering what positions for birth I can take while still being monitored, but positions that are better than lying down. One of the doctors I talked to said I could be on all fours while pushing, but when they see the head, she would have to have me lay back. In other words, doggy style. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly where my head was going. At least she said all fours. It's catchy. All right, go on. But I learned from your podcast that they can't force me to do anything. I would love to hear your recommendations besides the one I know you'll tell me, which is to change providers. Yeah. I mean, I would never tell anyone to change providers. I would just like to say when there are red flags, and I do like to say no matter who you are, no matter where you're giving birth, just always look into your options. Even if you go back to your original provider, it's a validating, it's a validating feeling to know you've at least looked around a little bit. So a couple of things on this. One is this hospital, I heard the word does do continuous 
electronic fetal mm -hmm. monitoring? I think we just have to think about that. They do continuous EFM. What is that supposed to mean, right? Just because the hospital, quote, does that doesn't mean it's evidence-based or that it's right for this mom. And it's not evidence-based, as we know. Intermittent auscultation is. So she can first request intermittent monitoring. That's mm -hmm. the first point, if that is what she would like. So in that case, they would typically like to do a baseline of maybe 20 minutes, and then periodically throughout the birth, they will want to monitor again. They'll strap it back on. It's a bit of a nuisance. They can use a Doppler instead. And you don't have to be essentially tethered to the monitor the entire labor. And just to point out too, if that is not an option, if the hospital truly will not do intermittent monitoring, one, you can look for a different provider in a different hospital that does. Two, at that point, you would definitely want to request to have the um, telemetry, the monitor that can move with you so that she could move about and be out of the bed. Yeah, a walking monitor, right? Yes. Yeah. And then the other thing is, regardless of how you are monitored, if a woman has an epidural, she is essentially tethered again to something. She can't just be free and walk around and roll around. So there are some options. I mean, I think one of the easier options that tends to work is a position called the semi-reclining position. Some hospitals like to show that they have these really nice beds that fold upward. But regardless of whether you do, your partner can get behind you and straddle you. You can put a lot of pillows behind you. But essentially what you're looking for is to have the space between your tailbone and, the, and your head at at least a 45 degree angle because that allows the sacrum to open fully, which makes birth significantly easier. So your pelvis is going to open about 30% more when your baby is descending through you. And that is a lot of space that nature intends to give you. So when we put women on their backs, we're robbing them of that space. And God knows how many of them are ending up with tears as a result or unnecessary C-sections as a result or Pitocin because the labor isn't as efficient that way. So the key is you just want to get off your sacrum. I would say try semi-reclining. I would definitely suggest hands and knees if that's possible. If you have an epidural, I'm really not sure that it is. Or if you have continuous monitoring, I'm not sure that it is. But another position that is officially a good position, it doesn't sound particularly comfortable to me personally, but it's side-lying position, in which case you lie on one side, you let your back be completely free, and then all that space can open up. The only thing you then have to manage, it's not a big deal, but the leg that's not against the bed, sometimes you need a little bit of help as the baby's coming through with holding that leg up because mm -hmm. it really can get fatigued. <clears throat> but it is it is officially considered a good position for birth. It is. And your partner can hold your leg up or the nurse can hold your leg up. The other thing is a squat bar across the bed or a birth stool in the room. Those would also be good options. Um, and squat bars are pretty readily available in most hospitals. And you actually can squat right on top of the bed. Um, but I was just looking back at this question and realized that she said she had a very quick first birth and was only in the hospital for an hour and a half. So I'm thinking that she's probably going to walk in there and be very close to giving birth and there's not going to be time for an epidural. Um, and she'll probably be able to give birth in whatever position that she wants. And if you find yourself in your hands and knees or whatever position and that baby's just coming out and you don't feel like moving, you don't have to move. 
Yeah, it's fine. The, the baby, the baby will come, and your and your doctor will catch it. That's right. Okay, here's a question for Trisha, and it says, "I'm helping to breastfeed." I'm gonna stop right there for a second. In hypnobirthing, the whole component that focuses on how the subconscious mind works, what we always want to eliminate words like hope and try. Mm-hmm. Like when women are talking about VBACs, they often say, I'm trying for a VBAC. We want to change that to a word like planning. So let's just change that right here. I'm planning on breastfeeding. I recently saw my friend breastfeeding and her breast looked much different from mine. This led me to a Google search and now I'm thinking I might have flat or inverted nipples. I guess I'll just wait and see how feeding goes, but is there anything I can do to help condition them before feeding? condition them. Does, does that make sense to you, Tricia? Yeah. Flat and inverted nipples. So first of all, women's breasts and women's nipples are so many degrees of normal. I mean, there's so many varieties. In fact, it reminds me of that, the little thing you were just showing me yesterday, your pouch you sent me. I put it yes, on my Instagram yes. page. Yeah. My Instagram story. That was, it was fabulous. And it was an example of all different shapes, sizes, colors of both breasts and nipples. Um, so it's no surprise that your friend's breasts look different than yours. And flat and inverted nipples are common. Uh, flat nipples are common. Variation of nipple is common. Truly inverted nipples are very are not so common. Um, and if you have truly inverted nipples, it can pose a challenge to breastfeeding. It's important to remember that breastfeeding is not nipple feeding. It's it's the breast. So. The, the size and the shape of the nipple is less important if you have the right kind of latch. Otherwise, nipple degree of flatness or protrusion is really just not that important because, again, we're not nipple feeding, we're breastfeeding. The nipple is going to be sucked into the baby's mouth and into the back posterior part of the baby's mouth, and they're going to be feeding on your breast. So no, there is nothing that you need to do to help condition them before feeding unless you truly have an inverted nipple and you might then want to talk to a lactation consultant and just be prepared for um, what, what feeding with an inverted nipple looks like. Down to Birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sitz bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E dot com, and use promo code down to birth. Okay, so here's a question for you, Cynthia. If my baby, well, actually, this is probably going to be an, a, a good conversation for both of us just looking at it now. If my baby isn't in optimal position and a C-section is needed, are there any things to read up on prior to having one? Or is it just a routine procedure? C-section do's and don'ts maybe? Are there any different procedures they need to do to the baby that would differ from a vaginal birth? I would want to make sure to have skin-to-skin bonding without intervention assuming that the baby is healthy. 
Do they have to take the baby away before they stitch you back up? And can the baby still do the breast crawl? Is that it? Yes. Okay. This comes down very much to the doctor who performs the C-section. So I'm sure you have a lot to add to whatever I say, Tricia, but one of the first things that always comes to mind is I had a client once who had a very satisfying C-section a long while ago, and she told me all the things she did to feel empowered in that room, and I learned a lot from her. And one of the first things she said was, as each stranger walked into the room, she introduced herself to them, and she asked them their name and their role, their purpose in the room. So immediately she had this feeling like she, everyone knew each other, just this sense in the room that they had this common shared goal, which is a lot like the episode we just published with Dr. Neil Shaw, where he talked about this. Mm -hmm. So she just used her intuition to get herself there. So you can look into what a gentle C-section is, but you'd start with that. I just want to back up a little bit first. The most important thing regarding a C-section is that you believe you need one because we have this intention in mind all the time that what matters most is that you feel deeply at peace with your birth the rest of your life. So when we're talking C-section, we always stop and say, do you believe you need this surgery? And if the answer is yes, do everything you can to switch over into a state of gratitude because when you truly need a C-section and when you know you need one, that is the primary emotion. And thank God they can come and do this for us right now is the thinking. If you're not feeling that, then it might be too rushed and you might need to slow down and have the conversation and really satisfy whatever it is that you're still wondering about. But when it is that time, there's every reason to be absolutely grateful. And yes, you can still do skin to skin. It depends entirely on how much you assert yourself and on the doctor and the staff and how supportive they are. So certainly ask to have your baby immediately put on you skin to skin and they should support that. And if for any reason they don't because they can't, there's no reason that baby shouldn't go on your partner's skin to skin without a medical issue at hand, of course, for the baby. Um, of course, you'd change your plan immediately if that were the case. And we trust that you can trust yourself to know when that's the better course of action than having the baby go right on you skin to skin. And then one other thing I'll mention is that there are more women now asking the surgeon to allow some amount of delayed cord clamping with a C-section. And we do have surgeons right now who are supportive of it. And there are surgeons who still flat out say no. So when you do your research on delayed cord clamping, you might find that this is very important to you, that it's a high value of yours. That should become one of the important questions that you do ask beforehand. You have every right to carefully select your surgeon for a C-section to whatever extent possible. Make sure you have a natural start to your labor and as long a trial of labor as possible because these are the things that will work very much in your favor the second time around if you decide to have another baby after this C-section. Yes, I would just add also that if this is a planned cesarean birth and you want to be in, as involved in it as possible, um, you may wish to choose to decline any type of uh, medication that will make you become more relaxed. Just stick with the epidural uh, for anesthesia, but don't take other medications that may interfere with your ability to be present. You can also ask for a clear drape or if they don't have clear drapes at your hospital a that the drape be lowered 
at the time of birth, so you can actually receive your baby over the drape. You can also request um, that breastfeeding initiation begin in the OR if, if your baby is ready to do that. I would make sure that your hands are free and not strapped down to the operating table. That's a big one. Um, little things like putting the IV in your non-dominant hand so that you're free to use that hand and you don't have the, you know, the IV interfering. Interesting. I've never even heard of that. Yeah. It makes so much sense. Um, just small things like that. You can, you can request your own music in the OR so it feels more comfortable to you and relaxing, but everything else that you suggested totally agree with yeah i want to add one more because i heard another story this week and i realize you hear sometimes about doctors who are talking to their staff even like about one lunch they're planning on ordering that day um during the surgery and they really should be either quiet or necessary words only or just speaking to the mother and reassuring her or telling her how well things are going i mm-hmm. i feel like these things are really important the thing is, to, you know, early in her question, she asked, is this just a routine procedure? And unfortunately for obstetricians, it is. So for them to talk about what they're doing after work or how their morning went leaving the house is, it, you know, it, it feels very normal. But for the woman who is, you know, this is a major life event for her. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's not, not routine for her. Not at all. It makes total sense. And I think just I agree with you that having that conversation beforehand is important. So, All right. And here, let's switch course to a whole different kind of birth, Trisha, because the next one says, I heard your episode a few weeks ago about the couple who had an unplanned home birth. We've had a few of those, haven't we? We, we sure have. Yeah, I know. <laughs> My first baby came pretty fast, and I've always wondered slash worried that it might happen to me pretty fast the next time around. What can I do to avoid this? Or more important, do you have any tips in case it does happen? I remember Nancy Wainer preparing me for this, Trisha, for my home birth because Alex's birth was so fast that she said, look, if your baby comes out quickly before your midwives get there, she just gave yeah. me some tips. Well, I can speak to this personally because I had a unattended, unplanned home birth because of a precipitous labor. And, um, you know, honestly, when babies come that quickly, they, they come very easily. And the best thing you can do is stay calm and stay present and just be there to receive your baby because your baby's coming. Um, if you are planning a home birth, like I was, I already had a care provider in route and on the way, so we didn't need to do anything further in regards to the in regard to the provider, but if you're planning a hospital birth and you know that this baby's coming, you have to make the choice whether you're going to stay put where you are and have the baby, or you're going to try to get to where you're going and potentially have the baby along the way. So it depends a little bit on how far away you are from your from your hospital. I think it's a lot better to stay home and have your baby at home than to have your baby on the road or in the car even though that does happen and it probably still is going to be fine. Um, so if you decide to stay home, you know that you're not going to make it. I, I would advise you calling your care provider. Uh, you can call 911 so that there are um, some healthcare professionals that can get there faster and help in case the baby has any issues, which it most likely will not. Um, you definitely want to have somebody there with you, a few warm 
towels or blankets, something to receive the baby with. And you really don't need to do anything else. Just let it happen. I remember hearing that the baby comes out from 99 degree temperature. So it's normally the mother's instinct to receive the baby and to keep the baby warm. But typically you want to put your hand on the top of the baby's head Mm -hmm. and keep the baby warm. Definitely. You definitely want to put the baby skin to skin with you and cover the baby. When we are planning to give birth at home, you know, we, we heat the room up significantly um, for that reason, because that transition is, you know, it is hard on the baby and, but skin to skin is perfect with a covering. That's all you need. I, I think, I think most of all, just stay calm, trust yourself, trust the process and call, call somebody to be there. Yep. And then come on down to birth and tell everyone your story. Perfect. Because they're fun stories. Trisha, we have one about an anterior placenta next. And the question is, are there any special considerations I should keep in mind with an anterior placenta? I've heard I may not feel as much of the baby's movement. Mm -hmm. And in the event that a C-section is required, are there increased risks or adjustments to the procedure with this placental placement? I've never heard of that. Is there? So... Increased risks or adjustments? Yeah. I mean, I even had an anterior placenta and I never had any worries or thoughts about it because isn't it like 20% of the time that women have them? It's, yeah, it's not, it, no, it's, it's really not a big deal. Um, it's true that if you have an anterior placenta, you may feel, um, it may be later in pregnancy before you feel the first movement of the baby because the placenta is kind of in between um, the baby and, and your belly. Um, anterior placentas sometimes make the baby more prone to being posterior position. Oh, sometimes it can be a little bit harder, especially early on in pregnancy to find the baby's heartbeat in relation to risks and C-section. The only time that there's really an increased risk is that if it's a anterior placenta that doesn't, that's a placenta previa that's it's over it's anterior and over the cervix. So normally Wherever your placenta implants, as your belly grows, it moves up and out of the way. But if it stays down where you would, you know, have to do an incision for cesarean section, then that can be a little bit more complicated, but only, only if it's a previa or an accreta, which is where the placenta actually gets into the, the uterine muscle and attaches and it's difficult for it to come out. So I would say most people with an anterior placenta, not a big deal. The placenta just is on the front side of your uterus instead of the back side. All right. Thank you so much to everyone for submitting your questions and listening to this September Q&A episode. And we would like to see how many people we can get to go visit the website today, downtobirthshow.com. Head on over there and click one of our links. Send us a question, submit a story or a suggestion to be on the show, or just say hi. Let us know you checked it out. Yes. And if you enjoy the show and you listen regularly, please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify, whatever you prefer. It does um, help a lot with new people being able to discover the show and share, share it with a friend. That's right. Share it with the people in your country. <laughs> I think you just said if you're planning an unplanned home birth, want to rephrase that?
I did say that. Yeah. Wait. If you, if you are planning an unattended home birth, unattended, 